0: I've told you before that I am a gadget guy. I love gadgets. I love new cell phones. I have my smartwatch that I actually found just in my, my son found it a few weeks ago. It was in a box of Pokemon cards. <laughs> how that happen? Anyway, um, so I got my watch back. I'm very happy about that. I, I love gadgets. I, I'm a big gadget guy. Um, I, I love new stuff. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the biggest fights I've ever had in my marriage uh, was over uh, some gadgets. Uh, believe it or not, uh, let me tell you the story. Uh, so, uh, I went out um, several years back and I decided that I was going to buy uh, a surround sound system, a, a home theater surround sound system, uh, worth several hundred dollars without consulting my wife. Oh, <laughs> uh, so it was kind of a low type, oh, <laughs> like all the guys in the room went, I've done that before. Maybe not surround sound system. Maybe something else, like a new uh, boat, or I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that was you. But um, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna buy this surround sound system without consulting my wife. Um, and uh, and I went out and I did it. And I bought the coolest speakers and a and a great receiver and a powered subwoofer. <laughs> anyway, I love this thing. You know, I, I'm a big surround sound guy. I love surround sound. Okay, so this is cool. I love the home theater. And anyway, I bring it home and it's like, what's that? Um, <laughs> um, you know, the old phrase is better to ask. Forgiveness and to ask permission. Let me tell you what, that applies in some situations, but not in ones that involve several hundred dollar surround sound systems. Okay? My wife is great. My wife is kind. She is loving. She is uh, generous with her time. Uh, She is uh, the loveliest person I know. She's the loveliest person I know. Um, And uh, she gets me. She understands Sean. She gets this whole mess. You know, my quirks, my. Uh, idiosyncrasies my mental illness i mean she gets it all all right she she understands me and she's very forgiving she forgives a lot and there's a lot to forgive sometimes but um surround sound, here's a little tip from your uncle sean okay uh it's not better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission when it comes to buying several hundred dollar surround sound systems it's just not It's not. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, come on, Sean. Some of you macho men in the room are thinking, aren't you the man of your house? Aren't you the the king of your castle? No. (laughs) No, I'm not. Not when it comes to several hundred dollars surround sound systems. No, I am not. You know, and and, I mean, like I said, I love gadgets and I love new gizmos and stuff like that. And and maybe you do too. You know, maybe you're the same way. Maybe you love, you know, a good uh, home theater system or you love this uh, kind of a gadget, maybe it's a, a phone or maybe it's a, a TV, uh, whatever it is, and I mean, I, like I said, I love surround sound, I don't even use the thing anymore, to be honest, but uh, I had to have it then, um, and, uh, you know, I, I tried to impress her with it, I tried to impress her, I was like, look, look, see, it does this, and I, I've got the remote, and I'm making it make all the different channels make sounds, so it's like, shh, 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 shh. I'm like, this is so cool, and she's like, I'm not impressed. Okay, all right. But I mean, we all do this, right? We all go out and we have these impulse buys. All these things that we want to buy. It's like, I gotta have this. And we go out and we, we spend hard-earned money on stuff that we don't even need. And, and that's the problem. We live paycheck to paycheck. We think, I'm barely making it. I'm barely surviving. And why do I have to live this way? And why am I so poor? The fact is, you're not poor. I'm not poor. I'm poor at decision-making. You know, we wonder, why, why am I living paycheck to paycheck? Here's the thing, we go out and we spend all of our money on the things that we want, and we wonder why we don't have money for the things that we need. And we think we're poor. No, we're just dumb. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going to say things that offend. Like calling my congregation dumb. <laughs> and then I think, no, guess I'm dumb. And they asked me to lead them. <laughs> right? So when it comes to spending, when it comes to wealth and riches, we tend to think that, no, I'm not rich, we're not rich. But the fact is, we are. We started this series last week called How to Be Rich. Now notice, it's not called How to Get Rich. It's how to be rich. See, the problem is, is that we are rich, we just don't realize it. And we are rich, we're just not very good at it. And so the point of this series It's not to get rich, it's to realize that you are rich and to be better at it. And so this series comes from North Point Church down in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, And uh, we're kind of adapting it for our own purposes here at GFCC so that we can learn how to be better at being rich. Because we said last week that if you make $48,000 a year or more, you are within the top 1% of all wage earners in the world. So if you make more than $48,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of all wage earners in the entire world. There's 7.5 billion people on the planet. And you're in the top 1% if you make more than $48,000 a year. We just had a team come back from Haiti. And I told you this last week about Haiti. Uh, There's 10.7 million people who live in Haiti. 6 million of them live on less than $2.50 a day. Six million people, over half the country lives on less than $2 to $2.50 a day. And of those six million, almost half of those, 2.7 million, live on less than $1.25 a day. A dollar, that's less than $500 a year. Less than 500 bucks a year. And they live on that, if you want to call that living. But that's what they live on. And, and you know, they get together for church And I mean, this service lasts four hours and they sing at the top of their lungs and they thank God for the very little that they have. And we, somehow, don't believe that we're rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we are super rich. You know, there are are two side effects to wealth that I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes. There are two side effects to wealth. Uh, The the first is this one. If you have your app, uh, open up your uh, GFCC app uh, to the sermon notes for this weekend, um, and you can fill in some blanks. Uh, If if you don't have the app yet, you can go to your uh, app store on your phone and search for GFCC, whether it's the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store. You can search for GFCC. You can download the GFCC app. We'll send you push notifications of events that are going on around here. Uh, You can give your tithes and offerings, and you can follow along with the sermon notes and take notes in the sermon. So the first side effect of wealth is that rich people live in denial. Rich people live in denial. In other words, rich people don't believe that they're rich. Now, if you ask a tall person, are you tall? They will say, yeah, I'm tall. You ask a short person, are you short? Yeah, I'm short. Uh, If you ask uh, an athletic person, are you athletic? They'll say, yeah, I'm pretty pretty good at sports. Uh, If you ask an artsy person, are you good at art? Stuff and they'd say, Yeah. Um, if you ask an extrovert, you know, extroverts will tell you that they're extroverts. I mean, they're glad to tell you that they're extroverts. Introverts, they'll eventually tell you that they're an introvert. Vegans love to tell you that they're vegan. <laughs> rich people won't tell you that they're rich because they don't believe it, they live in denial. The Gallup organization took a poll a few years ago. And they asked people, uh, the average American, they asked the average American, uh, what is rich? How much do you have to make to be considered rich? And the answer was this. The average American said you have to make about $150,000 a year to be considered rich. That's what they considered rich. But if you ask someone who makes $150,000 a year if they're rich, what are they going to say? No, I'm not rich. I mean, rich is those people, those really rich people. Um, if you, but here's the thing They also asked people who made about thirty dollars to $35,000 a year What rich is And they said if you make $75,000 a year You're rich $75,000 a year Some of you are like yeah that, that's rich And some of you are thinking no that's not rich at all $75,000 a year That's not rich Because rich people live in denial Money magazine Any subscribers to money magazine Don't raise your hand just in case <laughs> Money Magazine did a poll of all their subscribers, and they asked this question, how much money do you have to have in order to be considered rich? How much in liquid assets? How much cash you got to have to be considered rich? The subscribers to Money Magazine said $5 million. Now you're all going, yeah, that's rich. That's rich. But you got to have $5 million in the bank, $5 bucks, and you're rich. But if you asked a person who had $5 million, what would they tell you? Are you rich? No. Nope. No, I got got enough to live on until I retire. Maybe a little bit for my kids, for an inheritance. But I know that money doesn't go as far as it used to, and so $5 million. No, I'm not rich. Rich people live in denial. Uh, The the second side effect of wealth is that rich people are plagued with discontentment. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. In other words, there's never enough. There's never enough enough. They're not satisfied with what they have. John D. Rockefeller was the richest man on the planet many years ago. Uh, somebody sent me a text uh, said uh, after the last service that Bill Gates is worth 105 billion dollars. 105 billion, with a B. Here, before I tell you how much John D. Rockefeller was worth back in the day, uh, if you have a million dollars, okay, in one dollar bills, it's seven feet high. That's seven feet of $1 bills. That's a million dollars. Do you know how high a billion dollars is in $1 bills? Taller than the Empire State Building. (laughs) Oh. Now was that a, oh my goodness, that's a really high stack of bills, or was that a, I would love to have an Empire State Building filled with money. (laughs) So, Bill Gates worth $105 billion, 105 (laughs) Empire State Buildings of dollar bills. Um, John D. Rockefeller back in the day was worth $340 billion in today's money. That's a lot of money, $340 billion. And he was asked, he was asked, how much is enough? How much do you need to live on? He said, $1 more. Mmm, $1 more. $340 billion, not enough for anyone here? I mean, could you imagine? 340 empire state buildings of $1 bills. It's a lot of money. How much is enough? $1 more. Why? Because rich people are plagued with discontentment. It's never enough. So what do we do? How does God want us to deal with riches? How does God want us to deal with our wealth? Because we've already established the fact that we're rich. We're just not very good at it. And we want to get better at it. So God has a plan for rich people. He told uh, God, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told uh, Timothy, his young protege, who was a pastor in Ephesus, he, he gave him a plan for rich people. First uh, Timothy chapter six verses seventeen and eighteen. Check it out. This is what it says: Command those or instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So he says, tell those who are rich in this present world, those who are rich, and by the way, that's us. Okay, command us not to be, what? Arrogant. Not to be arrogant. Because riches... Tend to lead to arrogance. The more money you have, the more arrogant you can become. Well, I got this money because I worked hard. I got a good work ethic. I'm a hard worker. I earned this money. I'm better than the poor, I'm better than the lazy people. I'm better. Or I'm smarter. I got this money because I'm smart. And I earned it because I'm smart. I'm smarter than the poor people. Wealth leads to arrogance. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Instead be humble. And to not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Here's the thing. When it comes to hope, what happens when we put our hope in wealth? Wealth. Uh, our hope begins to migrate. The more money we have, the more our health, our wealth our, our hope begins to migrate from God to riches, from God to wealth, from God to money. And we start to put our hope in money over God. Our hope migrates from God to riches, from God to money. And like I said, you know, there's never enough... That discontentment thing? Check out this verse from the Proverbs. One of the richest men who ever lived wrote this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. They dream of a wall, of a city too high to scale. That they would have so much money that they could build a wall of it. And it would be too high to climb. That's that discontentment. That there's never enough. We play the what-if game. Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? What if I run out of money? What if I don't have enough? What if I have to live paycheck to paycheck? Or what if I have to live uh, be beneath my means? We play the what-if game. And, and what, if, what if I don't have enough? I have a question for you. And I know the answer already. I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to give you the answer. And it'll be the answer you're all thinking. Okay, here's the question. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities, more than I have now? Mm -hmm. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities, more than you have now? That's how much you need. That John D. Rockefeller thing, one more dollar, just one dollar more. And then one dollar more. And then one dollar more. And then one dollar more. And it never lets up. Because money and stuff and riches and wealth is an appetite. We have an appetite for more. And what happens when we feed an appetite? The appetite does what? It grows. Do you know what the serving size of a Totino's pizza rolls is? Three. Three. Three is the serving size. I don't know what international board of you know, I don't know what they said. I don't know how they determined that, like, three is the serving size for pizza rolls, but these people are nuts. <laughs> Either that or they've never tried them. They've never tried them. So, like, I, I'll, I'll be, when I'm, in my, when I'm in my diet zone, anybody have a diet zone? You know, that's like when you go to bed on Saturday night. It's like, okay, tomorrow. Diet starts tomorrow. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get my diet zone. So you get in your diet zone, and it's like, I'm going to have three pizza rolls. It's a serving size? It's not like just... It doesn't even feel worth heating the oven up for. Because everyone knows that you cook pizza rolls in an oven, only savages cook them up in the microwave. Because they get all gummy and chewy, and they're not as good as when they're nice and crispy in the oven, or the toaster oven. Just saying. So, you know, so the first time you just heat up the three pizza rolls, and (laughs) that was quick. Huh. Next night, it's like, well... What's six? Right? Not that bad. It's just double. And then, and then, you go from two servings to three servings. (laughs) Nine. Oh, that kind of takes the edge off of the midnight snack. Not too bad. And then all of a sudden, it's 12. It's a dozen pizza rolls. Do you know that they sell, like, boxes of them with 15 in them? Anybody ever eat an entire box of pizza rolls? (laughs) I have, obviously. Here's the thing. Why does my appetite grow? I mean, besides the fact that combination pizza rolls are the best thing ever. But besides that, it's because once you start to feed an appetite, it grows and grows and grows and grows. The same thing goes for stuff. The same thing goes for riches. The same thing goes for money. The more you get, the more you want. The more you get, the more you think you need. I need this stuff. And so our appetite grows, and we become discontent. The more we get, the more we want, the less content we are. Did you know that the greatest competitor, for your life and for your soul is not Satan. It's not. Check out this. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. The chief competitor for your soul is not Satan. It's money. Jesus said, the chief competitor for your soul, for your life, is not Satan. It's money. Because you will either love God and hate money, or you will love money and hate God. That's, That's it. Those are the two options. Money is the chief competitor for your soul. It's not Satan. Now, Satan will use money. But it's money. You know how I know this? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you two statements. i give you two statements, okay? I want you to think about these, and then I say it, and I want you to think about which one gives you, fills you with the most anxiety, okay? Which one fills you with the most anxiety? First statement, there is no God. There's no God. When you die, nothing. Uh, no heaven, you'll never see your loved ones again. There's no purpose to life, okay? There's, there's no God. Maybe that stirs up a little bit of anxiety in you. Maybe not. Maybe it's like, well, no, I know there's a God, but, you know. but if I told you there is no God, God does not exist, does that fill you with anxiety? How about this one? There is no money. You wake up tomorrow, your bank account is empty. Zero, nada, nothing. There's no money in your account. You don't have a job. You don't have a car. You have the clothes on your back. That's it. There's no money. And and nothing coming in. There is no money. Zero. Zip. Nothing. Now, which one fills you with more anxiety? If you woke up tomorrow morning and somebody told you there's no God, you'd be like, okay. But if you woke up tomorrow and and somebody said there's no money, you'd freak out. What do you mean there's no money? There's no money. No. No, there's got to be money. No, there's no money. Now, let's, let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's say you're at the end of your life. Or let's say you go to the doctor this week. You go to the doctor this week and the doctor says, I have some bad news for you. Your life is not going to last as long as you thought it was. Your life is not going to last as long as you thought it was going to. You go to the doctor this week and he says, you have less than a year to live. Now, if I told you there is no God, there is no money, which one brings out more anxiety? There's no God. What do you mean there's no God? There has to be a God. Because I want to see my loved ones again and I want to go to heaven and I want to live with Jesus forever. Why is it that when we're at the end of our lives, we're more concerned about God than money? Why not in the middle? Why is it that in the middle, money's more important than God? If God is more important at the end, shouldn't he be more important in the middle? So the question is this. Why put your hope in the provisions when you can put your hope in the provider? Don't let your my, your hope migrate from God to wealth. Don't let your hope migrate from God to riches. Don't let your God your hope migrate from God to money. Put your hope in the provider, not in the provisions. Provisions don't last. Your car is going to break down. anybody ever have a car breakdown? All the time, right? Your house, your house could be eaten by termites. Mine was nine years ago, ten years ago. A house was eaten by termites. You may not have heard that story. It's a fun little tale. How <laughs> uh, our house was eaten by termites. We had to move out for five months. Cost a lot of money to rebuild. It's terrible. Houses get eaten by termites. Yes, in Griffith, Indiana. Imagine that. Clothes go out of fashion. And they fall apart and they wear out. Shoes. Shoes wear out. Right? All these things that we think that we have to have. All these things that we think that we need the newest and the brightest and the best and the the, the, the most fashionable. All these things that we think we have to have. The provisions. And we put more hope in our provisions than we put in the provider. Why put your hope in the provisions? You can put your hope in the provider. And God is the provider. That's what it says in James 1.17. James was the brother of Jesus. And he wrote these words. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God never changes, and He is our provider. He provides every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And He provides. He is our provider. So don't put your hope in the provisions. Put your hope in the provider, the one who gave them to you. And don't wait till the end of your life. Put your hope and faith in God. Put your hope and trust in Christ. You know, we talk about a a very simple biblical plan of salvation here at GSEC. You've got to believe in Jesus and turn away from sin and repentance. Confess your faith. Get baptized. God will fill you with His Holy Spirit. He will fill you with hope. He will fill you with the assurance of salvation that only comes from Him. Don't put your hope in the provisions. Put your hope in the Provider. So I'm going to ask you to, to repeat something with me here in just a second. I, I want you to think about these words. And I want you to, if you mean it, I want you to say them with me. And then we're going to tell you what the bags are on your chair. So before that, I want, you to, I want you to look at this statement. I'm going to say it. And then if you agree with it, I want you to say it with me. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. If you can say that, say it with me. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because God is our provider. Say it one more time. I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. I will put my hope in Christ. I will put my hope in God. I will put my hope in the provider. I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. And we're going to give you a chance to show it, to demonstrate it. It should be somewhere near you, and if there isn't, we'll get you one, because there's a stack of them right up here. A bag that looks like this. Anybody got a bag around you that looks like this? Okay. So I want you to grab this bag, and I want you to reach inside. And inside, this is what all the Sioux stuff is all about. There's like Sioux stuff everywhere. If you, if you didn't get a bag, would you raise your hand? And I'm going to have my buddy here in the Khalil Mack jersey bring you one. So <laughs> back over there to the left. Yeah, a few of them. Thanks, John. So on this blue piece of paper, on this blue piece of paper, uh, this will explain what the Sioux stuff is. There's a little, little rhyme on there. It says, one can, two can, who can, you can. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that cute? One can, two can. Who can? You can. We're going to collect uh, non-perishable food items and different items that you'll see a list there on the right-hand side of this sheet of the things that we need. We're going to stock our blessing boxes. We have two blessing boxes. One located here on our church property. The other is at our GFCC Ministry Center of New Elliott. And we uh, stock these blessing boxes with non-perishable food items and other items that people need and they come along when they have a need and they, they take a can of SpaghettiOs or they take some pasta and some pasta sauce and so what we want you to do is to show that you will trust in Him who richly provides by taking this bag home this week one can, two can, who can? you can we want you to put stuff in it, we want you to put canned goods in it, we want you to put pasta in it, pasta sauce in it SpaghettiOs, whatever. Take a look at that list. And we're going to bring them in next week. We're going to have some containers. We're going we're to bring the bags. If, if, if it's one can, two can, that's fine. If it's a bag full of cans, great. We want you to bring them. We're going we're to flood this stage. We're going to fill this stage with canned goods and non-perishable food items next week. Because I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. And when we do that, when we put our trust in Him who richly provides, we will discover that there is so much more to this life than riches. There's so much more to this life than wealth. And we will truly know how to be rich.